A very good morning to you. It's brilliant to be with you. My name is John. What an absolute banger. I'll tell you what I do love is I love a live stream. Anything can happen. I've already paused it. You had a black screen a minute ago. That was my fault. I put my iPad down too hard on, on a table and that's, that got it out. Dan said thanks for giving, which we are genuinely thankful, but it was quite funny the way he said it. We've got all things... Oh, a curtain fell down. We've got all things new. Pete's book just strategically placed accidentally around. He's on holiday, but the spirit of Pete Hughes lives on. We've got one at the back. I saw at least 10 next door in the background to the worship, so it's all happening. Um, Debbie Wright, a few weeks ago in the Reading of the Times series, uh, it's on YouTube if you've, if, you've still, uh, if you've missed that, said this beautiful thing. She said, church at the moment needs to be about connection, not perfection. And what I'm loving about the live stream, it is very much connection over perfection, but it's, it's well worth it. And take us back just a, a few weeks ago when we were recording everything in homes, which was great to do. It was amazing that we could still do church and somehow be gathered, albeit virtually. But guys, it was a hotbed for family uh, rows. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was an absolute nightmare. And no place was this, this scene more, obviously, than in the clip you're about to see. Here's some context, just so you know. So me and Joe, my wife, we were hosting a, a morning service. We had a two-year-old running around left, right and centre. Um, and this is just a little outtake of us trying to record mm. some simple hosting. Um, just, sorry, yeah. I'm finding it hard to just find. Maybe you keep moving this way. Disappointment on her face. It's, it's all you got was disappointment. She was, she was furious. She was absolutely furious. But anyway, we have none of that on the live stream. I'm not even sure if you heard it. If you heard it, the, do you know what? The, the, the picture said a thousand words. You didn't even need to hear it. The face that Joe shows me is, is pure frustration. Um, but if you've been on this live stream ride the past few weeks, you'll know we just finished a series called Reconciled last week. Dan finished us off. It was an absolute um, cracker of a series. Go back and uh, listen to it. Watch it again if you missed it. And we've got a new series starting up in, in the next coming weeks, which means I'm going to go freestyle today, so strap in, yeah. anything can happen. And we're going right into a text that's been on my, my mind, in my heart, these past few weeks, and it's from 1 Corinthians 9, so it should come up on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 9, if you've got a Bible around you or a phone, head there. And starting at verse 24, it says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's this rich, well-known passage and today I want to preach from the revelation of this scripture but also a few other things that I think are going on today as I speak. I'm borrowing some language from Alan Scott. Um, preparingness has not only come from scripture and this scripture in particular but I think some observation from what I can see going on in people around me, some expectation of, of what's to come in the months maybe in the years ahead and in some sense of, of pro prophetic intuition of what God is saying and what he's doing and today is just a bit of a, a mix and match of all of that together. But throughout, we're going to be camped out in this short passage from, from 1 Corinthians. And just for context, it's a letter. It's from Paul. It's to the church in Corinth in Greece. And it's a passage that when we read it, it feels like it's there to like pump us up, to get us going. It's, it's this victory roar. Go and run the race. And yet, 
It is written to a church that was struggling, that was beaten up, that was pretty broken, wavering slightly from what was being asked of it. It was a church community in a buzzing city of commerce, of, of culture, but there were intense religious sects that were going on at the time. They had extreme sexual immorality to the point where in Greek the, the verb to Corinthianize means to live a promiscuous life. And I just want to pause because I'm very keen for you not to overread the parallels I'm trying to draw in here with KXC. We're in a very different place at a very different time, undergoing very different experiences. This isn't some kind of declaration of the fragility of our church right now. But here's the similarity. This church in Corinth was on a journey. And every journey has a start, every journey has a middle, and every journey has an end. You see, a few years before this letter was written, maybe four or five years before, Paul writes this letter, he helps plant this church, and they set off on this journey, a race, if you will, to be the church that they needed to be that was being asked of them in that place. And somewhere on that journey, it got hard. It got really hard really hard. And in this passage, Paul is repainting a road ahead, reminding them of the finish line that they're aiming for, that they were always going for. And and here's my sense of where many of us are right now, myself included. Five months ago today, the Prime Minister stood up, as she sat down, and and, uh, invited us out on a journey, on a race. It actually started way before that, right, with this virus, but it started in how we live our everyday lives, communally, for us as a church, but I also think for every single one of us individually. And somewhere on that journey, pretty quickly for some, it took a lot longer for others, it got hard. It got really, really hard. And I think that God is speaking to us right now. He's repainting the road ahead, reminding us, pointing out the finish line, but it looks a little bit different from what we're expecting right now, what we have in our mind of what the finish line of this journey looks like. Every race has a start, every race has a middle, every race has an end. Do you remember the beginning? Do you remember the panic, the pain, the optimism, the adventure of what you could do in this time? Home became work overnight, parents became teachers, safety nets, got pulled out from under so many people across society. Here at church, we had the chaotic first live stream. I wasn't here because I was actually off sick. And I mean, it it sounded like hell. It honestly did. Um, People still talk about that first live stream like it was some kind of traumatic experience. Hubs were being formed. Community groups were being formed. Culture of prayer and intercession broke out across the church. It was so exciting, much of which, by the way, continues. And I thank God for the commitment and consistency of so many people. Food bank, 500 deliveries to families and households across uh, Islington. Donations from the church, from total strangers. The generosity of those who are in prison, giving their money that they're earning and saving each week in order that other people might have food where they desperately need it right now across our city. Songs of hope being written, of creativity. Those gathering, albeit virtually, to pray, to call out for God's mercy to come on this land new ideas and businesses being formed, people bringing their skills and gift sets to help those who are the most vulnerable in society. It's amazing. But for many, the grand plans, the hopes, the dreams of this moment, of what it could have been, may have waned a little bit. They might have just dissolved a bit. Maybe you've just lost a little bit of hope. Despair has set in. And my guess is that might be because our great intentions are so hard to hold intention when you have no idea when that's finishing, 
when you don't know where the finish line is, when you don't know where that ends, it's so hard to hold it in tension for so long. I'm known by many as like a fad guy. So my, my wife calls me a fad guy, all my friends call me a fad person, which basically means that I love fads. And I get on board with fads really quickly and I fall for them really hard. I get really into the detail. I, I'm, I'm in hook, line and sinker and then I, I just drop them immediately. And I've got countless examples that I could tell you, but one of them was a few years ago. I got really into running. I got really into running, which basically meant I bought all the gear. I'd spent way too much money on some trainers. I got all the gear. I had one of those like armbands. I had my phone on it, had my headphones going on. I reckon I did three maybe four runs and then it really all collapsed around me and I, I, honestly I've been on very few runs since it's a real problem I'm a fad person because I like many of you love the start I love the the start of the race get me going come on we can do this yet so often that early energy fades the adventure loses its gloss it gets hard and we forget challenging passages like this from Paul about what it takes that it takes training it takes focus it takes determination, it takes perseverance, it takes spiritual stamina to run the race. Think of it another way. Think of, of a marathon runner, and I'm gutted that I've not run a marathon. I mean, I think it's, it's clear why I haven't run a marathon if I got into the fad of running and then just lost it um, immediately. And I wish I had got into running for a few reasons, partly because of the discipline of it. I just think it's an amazing thing to go through in your life. But mainly, and I'm, I'm using the language of Tyler Staten here, he leads a church in New York, he said, it's a pain that lasts a moment, but the sermon illustrations last a lifetime. And I am absolutely gutted that I haven't got them in my back pocket. But what I have done is I've watched the London Marathon, like many of you, both on the TV and on the sidelines. It's not as powerful, is it? But at the start line, you can feel the energy. You can feel the energy. People are looking side to side. The adrenaline's pumping. There's nervous energy. Your friends and family are there to set you off, and you're away. And then fast forward to the finish line, and it's even better than that. You've got crowds lining the streets, cheering on your name. They see your name on your vest, and they start shouting. They've never met you before. They'll never meet you again. But they're like, come on, Bob. Bob, you're brilliant. Bob, go on. Crack on. But it's the middle of the race that so many of us don't see. It's the quieter streets. It's the drinks breaks. It's the toilet breaks. It's hitting the wall that all these runners speak of. Those are the bits that we don't see. And it's the middle of this COVID journey that many of us are in right now. And we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know what to do with ourselves. The church calendar around the world, you weren't expecting that to come into the talk. It revolves around big holy days, these big Christian festivals, things like Advent, Lent, Pentecost, Epiphany, Easter, Christmas, obviously, these amazing high points. But the rest of the year, most of the time, in fact, is inspiringly called ordinary time. And it's because it is just that. It is ordinary. It is not extraordinary. It is not these punctuated moments of incredible breakthrough where we, we celebrate incredible things happening. It is ordinary time. These times that we're, we're culturally living through are truly unprecedented, extraordinary times. I'm absolutely no doubt about that. But many, if not most of us, right now, in the middle of the race, individually, are experiencing a level of the ordinary, of a new normal, of monotony, of the mundane. The adventure, the anxiety, the, the kind of adrenaline from the start of the race has faded. The hope and expectation of what the end of the race might look like feels so out of reach, and we're stuck in the middle of this race. Maybe we're running, maybe we're walking, maybe we're limping, 
I'm sure all of us to some degree are experiencing some sense of fatiguing. We're waiting for something to change, something to shift for breakthrough of some kind. And since I've excited us all for this stretch of the journey, let's just remind ourselves of what the finish line looks like because here's the myth that many of us could buy into, that the finish line looks like getting back to the office and being with your colleagues, being with your friends, starting a new job once the economy returns, gathering together for church again, hugging friends and family once again, moving back into your flat with your flatmates. But that's never the finish line that scripture talks about. It's never about circumstance. Instead, Paul is painting a picture of a life of faith, a life of discipleship. He's painting a picture of a life in relationship with a person, and his name is Jesus. That's the race that Paul is speaking of, and this language of a race comes up again and again through Scripture. It comes up again in the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews 12 in that stunning picture that many of us will know well, and it says this, it will come up on the screen, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This race isn't towards normality. It's not towards what was before or to community or disruption or anything good like that. It's none of that. The race isn't towards that. This race is towards a person. This race is towards someone that we need to fix our eyes on. The race is towards Jesus. And I am absolutely sure in no doubt that life ahead will look different to what once before. And, And we'll all have some picture of what that landscape might look like with excitement and with vision, and that's great, and stick with that. Paint a picture of what, the vision, of, the, of what the future could look like. That's an amazing thing, but that's never the goal. That is never the prize. And don't get me wrong, I think we, maybe for us as a church, but individually, are being led into a new adventure, into a new land. Amazing things are to come, and there's an exciting road ahead. But as we run the race, let's not get distracted from what we're supposed to be fixing our eyes on, which is a person. And his name is Jesus. To listen to his gentle voice of his spirit, to respond to his whisper, to have that spiritual stamina to stay for the long haul. My sense today is that many of us need to be reminded once again that he is our aim. Jesus is the goal. The relationship with him is the ballgame. And as I finish up, I just want to call out two groups of people that I think that we could relate to in this moment. And the first group is this. You're running the race, but you're running it on complete empty right now. You've run and you've run hard, and now you're running on empty. And I think there's an invitation to just rest in the arms of Jesus today. That is your simple invitation today, is to rest in his arms. The race is never about circumstance. It doesn't end when things get better. Instead, we fix our eyes on a a prize, which is a person, and his name is Jesus. There's this beautiful passage in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah is being persecuted. He's being threatened, chased down to the point where he crumbles down by a bush and he cries out to God in, in 1 Kings. He says this, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, 
An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some uh, bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God, and there he went into a cave and spent the night. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I honestly believe that for some there's a simple invitation, but an invitation nonetheless to get up, to eat, to rest and prepare, because there's a journey ahead, a journey to an amazing place. But right now the invitation is simply to get up and eat, to rest to be with Jesus. That's the first group. And I think there's a second group. And I really want us to be honest. If you feel like you're in this group, honestly, put your proverbial hand up. Don't actually do it. No one will see it. But put your hand up and say, no, this is me because this is a great place to be in, but there's a responsibility on you. Because if if you're in the second group, you're running the race well. You're doing this part of life well. You're feeling good. You've tracked with the spirit. You've seen great things happen around you. And let me just start by saying a huge well done good and faithful servant these are incredibly hard times around the world for us to live through and you have weathered that with incredible grace and you've done it with incredible faithfulness but there's a responsibility on you in this moment to look around you who's flagging who has hit the wall who's struggling because I can promise you they need you right now they need your compassion they need your kindness they need your joy they need your sense of community not for the sake of just those things because they're never the goal. They're the vehicle through which people experience and encounter the person of Jesus. Come and walk alongside them and help them pursue Jesus in this time. In 2016, the triathlon season, again, a little curveball in the talk, you weren't expecting that, um, was coming to an end, the World Championship, and there was one more race and it was in Mexico. And uh, Jonathan Brownlee, who's the brother of Alistair Brownlee, two Brits, they were in this um, final. And Jonathan Brownlee was winning the world championship up, up until this race. And he was winning the final race. All he had to do was hold on to victory in these final stages for him to, to, to win glory, to be the world champion. And his older brother, Alistair, is sitting a couple of places behind him in third. And uh, this is what happened in the final stages of the race. Starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my god, I cannot believe what we are seeing here. Matt, is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes, unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. To finish in second and third, but Johnny 
can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here. I find that so moving um, for lots of reasons, not least because it's just an amazing sporting moment and an amazing family moment. But I think it, it speaks to the, the Father heart of God that in a moment, on a dime, the aim of that race turned way away from winning. It turned to just finishing, to finishing well. And his older brother, who's two places behind him, knows that, that, that winning the World Championship is over. It's finished right then. And yet all he wants to do is push his brother over the line. Not just with him, he wants to push him into second place in front of him. I think it's a stunning picture where so many of us need the help of another and so many of us are, are in a place where you can provide that. You have, you have something in the tank. You've tracked with the spirit. You've got that compassion, that kindness, that joy in you. You can, you can help a brother over the line. Am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely. Help them over the line. Near the beginning of, of Mark's gospel, just after the 12 disciples have all been named and, and called, they're on a boat and they're with Jesus. And a storm comes from, from nowhere. And you see these waves breaking over the bow of the boat. Panic sets in and, and Jesus is just napping at the back of the boat, lying down, chilling in the stern. And the disciples, as you can imagine, they're shaking Jesus awake. They're saying, do you not care if we drown? Why aren't you doing anything? If you are who you say you are, then help us. Come and do something. And he gets up, he stills the waves and he turns to them. And in a voice that so many of us, I think, readers rebuke, I wonder if it was softer than that. That's just my, my sense. And he just says, why are you so afraid? Have faith. Take courage. You know that I'm here. I'm here for you and I'm here with you. I believe he would say the same over us today. He's close. He's with you. And he's full of power. KXC, let me just encourage you this day. Keep running. Keep running with perseverance. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, and he's the perfecter of faith.